0: Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast. Because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, and I'm getting out in the world, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's, it's I'm not running for office, but my partner is, and I am
1: Jen Jordan, and I am running for office. And man, I am tired. You, are, I know. I, I know you want to say you look like it. No,
0: you actually, <laughs> I have to say that Jen looks so cute right now. She's wearing her Bitter Southerner t shirt, which I love that says, You say it better than me. You say it. All y'all. All y'all. <laughs> All y'all. I love those. I love the Bitter Southerner so oh, much. Th- their, their t-shirts are great too. So, And if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's kind of a, a news magazine on a website and they, they kind of run their structure like NPR. So they have supporters and they have merch and it's it's really cool. So. Yeah, great for Christmas gifts, by the way. Totally. Or for Hanukkah. Totally. Or for whatever. Right. L- whatever right. you want. Mother's wants. Day. That's right. Hey. hey. Uh, <laughs> l- yes. I've given many gifts from Bitter Southerners. So, Our topics this week have so much to do with constitutional law. Don't let that scare you. I know. I know. It doesn't necessarily bring the heat, right? It doesn't sound (laughs) sassy or sexy, I have to tell you. But I wanted to bring some fire and some spark and some sass to constitutional law so... Anthony Michael Kreis, constitutional law professor at Georgia State, and he's with us again. You're like our most popular guest. Hi, Anthony.
2: Well, hey, I wish constitutional law was sexy. I mean, might make my dating life a little bit more adventurous. But <laughs> other than that, I'm also not running for office. So I got to find something to improve my life a little bit, I guess, make it a little bit more sassy. Well, I don't think you have any
0: problems being sassy. I think you're I'm really, sure. really good at that. Um, But one thing you're so great at at Twitter is why we wanted to kind of bring you in as, as our third wheel,
2: which I hope you're okay with being the third wheel. I mean- Yeah, I mean, this, if I'm going to be a third wheel, this is the third <laughs> wheel I want to be a part of. So. <laughs>
0: okay. So let's talk about the first thing because because there's a lot of local stories that involve constitutional law, you know, that I think that the average person wonders, like, wait, can they do that? And the first one is this Governor Kemp and they uh, they all involve the governor in the state is critical race theory. He made an announcement or a, a, was this an executive order saying that schools could not teach critical race theory in class.
2: Yeah, so he wrote a letter. I think it was to the um the, to the, the state superintendent. Board, yeah. 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 Saying that he wanted a like a thorough review to make sure that critical race theory wasn't being taught in in georgia schools and you know of course the first thought i had was i would love to be in the room with him and ask him what he thinks critical race theory is because i know what it is and i sure as heck know that he does not so that would have been a fun conversation but you know there is just kind of like this catch-all phrase now that critical theories theory is basically anything that involves american history and race that conservatives don't like like that's really what we're dealing with now it's it's a it's a term that they're using without meaning
0: and I'm really curious about this because I see you say conservative and it's like, it seems like, do they think that the history books are being changed?
2: Yeah. So, okay, here's the problem. So, you know, I think there's this idea that that people think historians and historians' job. And I I mean, I'm a quasi-historian as like a, a you know, I'm trained as a political historian. But the uh, there, there's this idea that like historians' job is like to come up with new facts all the time. And yeah, sometimes new facts do get discovered and new resources and sources get discovered. But oftentimes what historians actually do is reconsider the narratives and the interpretations and rethink how those facts interplay over time. And, and so, you know, it's really about changing interpretations and, and more nuanced, better understandings of, of history. And so things like, for example, the 1619 Project, and there's other, you know, there's other things out there of, of similar, you know, kind of, you know, similar flavor are attempting to say, you know, white people have basically wrote American history, right? Because that's for, you know, decades, for hundreds of years, historians and academics and lawyers and, and those in power are all, you know, white folks and generally white men. And so maybe we need to reconsider and reevaluate history by giving bigger emphasis on the history, the experiences, the, the contributions of women and of people of color and of slaves, and right? And and so the traditional kind of, you know, whitewashed rosy America was always great and always has been and always will be kind of, you know, you know, worldview has been shattered. And that's what this is a response to, right? It is a response to the idea that maybe we should reconsider history, right? It's kind of, I think a response in part to like to the whole anti-Confederate movement, right? I mean, it's, it's just this idea that people feel like their identity, right? Their identity and their identity is a, you know, relates to history is being challenged and they're they're mad about it and pushing back. And they're using this term critical race theory to capture their anger, right? That's what this is. It's a it's a term that really doesn't have any meaning other than to say, we're mad about this and this is the term we're going to use to describe anything we're actually mad about.
1: Well, and in terms of the law, I mean, there has been a, well, even at the state capitol, there's really been kind of this intentional effort to look at laws that are facially neutral, let's say. They don't say anything about, Oppressing a certain group, or or trying to go after a certain group, but they've been used like that, or they come out of some kind of history where they were intended to be used to hurt a certain group, and and what's fascinating about Team Kemp coming out with this whole critical race theory gobbledygook is that one of the biggest victories that they kind of claimed this year was the repeal of the citizens arrest law. And the whole reason that that law was repealed is because it came out of slavery (laughs) and it allowed people to, to go after black Georgians and basically arrest them, take them into custody. And so here we are, he's saying how bad it is and it's the worst thing ever in terms of, of actually trying to right some of those wrongs. When at the same time, that's the one big thing they've been flying their flag on.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that's that, that's the thing, right? Like, it's just you can't you can't divorce the law from history and you can't divorce the law from racist institutions and how it's evolved in a way that's race conscious. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, and and if you did, I think you're exactly right. I mean, he wouldn't be able to claim the kind of tremendous victory that he did over that, over the you know amending of the of the citizen's arrest law. Because it would just be kind of an ordinary piece of legislation that people would say, oh, it's not so great policy, and it wouldn't have this kind of historic meaning, right? So it's, it's, it's just nonsensical. And, and I think the fact that the folks who are crying most about critical race theory have never read it, have no idea what it is, you know, that they're just kind of using it as this kind of umbrella phrase to, to cover everything and anything they don't like you know, they're just trying to use the phrase as a way to rile people up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I really, I feel that way. And that's one thing that you had said, Anthony, is that like no schools are currently teaching it. And, And look, I'm a parent of a teenager and I frankly love the idea of a critical thinking of presenting another idea. Even if it's an idea I don't necessarily agree with, I think that's like some of the best classes I ever took in college, maybe not so much in high school, but like, we're like, I was, pu- when you're pushed to think, look at two t- things and have critical thinking, I just don't understand how that's bad. So it just seems to me when I look at somebody's, Timeline or whatever, you know, because they're your people's timelines. I look to like to look at to see their take on it, and they're just this critical race theory is just so mm-hmm. triggering to them. It's 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 really it just for me. I feel like it, it it's a it's a secret racism disguiser.
2: Yeah, no, I mean it's just it's basically it's it's people I think who generally don't want to have realistic conversations about the origin of you know the American founding. And the implications of, of racism. I mean, th- I mean, there are people out there who, you know, in, these, in this argument, you know, will say the Constitution is an inherently anti-slavery, anti-racist document. And I have to think to myself, I don't think that's what the Three Fifths Compromise is about. Right? Yeah. I don't. I don't think the Fugitive Slave Clause is really all that, you know, pro-racial equality. I mean, I, <laughs> there there are there are some serious issues, and and so you know, but they they perceive an attack or a critique through the prism of race, of cons- the Constitution or constitutional law as some kind of inherent attack on America. And and that's just, you know, that's like 1950s anti-intellectualism coming out. And I'm not here for it.
1: Well, look, and for everybody that's listening, and, you know, critical race theory was not something that I was familiar with, right, until it started to be kind of bandied about. I'm not um, a member of uh, academia or or knew really anything around this. I mean, as a lawyer, I've read great books like The Color of Law, which is incredible. People can go on Amazon and look it up and to see the implications of a lot of our laws and how they've impacted certain people and how they were intended to hurt certain people. And I think that even if the intent wasn't there, I think we have an obligation to always be looking at the impact of the laws we pass because the whole point is not to hurt certain groups or to discriminate against certain people. And so we should always be critically thinking about this one way or the other. But this feels just super, super, super political.
0: OK, so let's move on to the next thing. And this is a hot button for me because I've been seeing the term vaccine passport being brought up a lot, especially by conservative governors. I kept seeing it a lot with Governor Ron DeSantis. This was coming up a lot as far as like and and it's a lot of this. My health care decisions are personal and you can't force me to, you know, prove that I got a vaccine or I didn't. Anthony, how is this different from pro-choice? You know, so much is being said about government and medical and healthcare decisions. And I see all of these super pro-life politicians going on and on about vaccine passports are bad and government should not be making decisions for my personal health. How is this different?
2: Is it different? No. I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, now, I think people who fall on, you know, kind of the, the anti-abortion side of the ledger would say that, you know, well, abortion is different because it's a third-party harm. Like, you're harming a fetus, and that's why we're, you know, pro-life, which is not the position I hold. But that's completely irrational and inconsistent with their their vaccine outlook, right? Because if you believe that government has the some duty to protect third parties, innocent third parties from harm, then you should probably understand that vaccination from an airborne illness, right, also protects third parties from harm. So, you know, that's a completely inconsistent position to take, right? If, if you are, you know, you I don't think you can be consistently pro-life and then also be anti-vax. Like these things are, you know, or at least anti-vax government mandate, right? Because I think for example, in schools. Right. I think we should want to know whether children are vaccinated and whether we can put them in, in congregate settings. I think we should want to know if if, you know, school run summer camps, you know, if, if if kids are vaccinated so that we're not subjecting them to more risk than not. Maybe even dormitories. Right. For, for higher ed. So I, I think there's a lot of reason why you, you would want proof of vaccination. And we do it all the time for everything else, right? I mean, you can't you can't just go to school unless you have your full regimen of vaccinations from, you know, everything from I don't know, like tetanus to diphtheria. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, whatever. Like it's nonsense. Yeah.
1: Well, that's just it. I mean, it's kind of crazy because Georgia public schools already require a passport, if you will. I mean, it's called our immunization record. It's it's what we have to provide as parents when we sign our kids up for school. So is that going to somehow not be required anymore either? I mean, it's just so silly, right, that to take this position um, and say government isn't going to mandate something. And then he's basically mandating that there not be a mandate. So it, it it just doesn't make sense to me from what Anthony was saying in terms of it's just, does it just doesn't seem rational. But maybe that's a little tough.
2: It's it seems it seems, you know, it's dicey. But I mean, at the same time, you know, I do understand the argument that they're making, which is, you know, this is an emergency use authorization you know for these vaccines. And that does make this slightly different because everything else, you know, has been around for years and years and years and we know it's safe and has permanent authorization. I find that to be a, you know, a less than persuasive argument because millions upon millions upon millions of people have had this vaccine. It is safe. It is provably safe. Right. The numbers are going down. People are, you know, you know, we're achieving a lot of success around the country, although. Georgia is woefully behind. I think last time I checked, it was 30 percent, just slightly over 30 percent, according to New York Times, have, of Georgians were fully vaccinated, versus other states which are hitting 55, 60, 65 percent of their residents are, you know, have at least one dose. You know, and we're just way, 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 way behind. So, you know, I, I don't understand why we are focused on dissuading people from getting vaccinated by adopting policies which maybe aren't necessarily on their face anti-vax, but seem to certainly cave to the will of the anti-vaccine crowd. And that's just, I, I think, you know, I'd rather, what, for example, why isn't Governor Kent more like Mike DeWine? Yeah, so we love that.
0: So I loved your tweet about that. Uh, I think I retweeted that as Tale of Two Governors, and Jen came up with a point that that we may think the governor's office has a content calendar, and they're going through all their greatest hits.
1: Right. Uh, it's almost like we get an executive order that matches whatever the Chiron on Fox News is for any given week.
0: Right. So, you know, you got to get into this. And like, you know, it is true. It's like, you've got Governor DeWine who, listen, a lot of the stuff he does, not great, but he's, doing a great job with this and he's making it fun for the residents but their vaccinations are up like something like 40 percent and you know he's giving out scholarships to kids and like I think that's why I wonder if this strategy of the content calendar is is like, is, is that effective? Because I, I don't know, I, I'm i loving all this positive news. I love seeing a picture of a governor that I may not align with politically, but him standing with a family, giving them a scholarship for participating in, in public health.
2: This is awesome. I mean, here's what I would love. I mean, I would, you know, I'm not going to vote for Brian Kemp, never will. And that's that. But I would love to be able to tweet something Nice about him standing in front of a yard with a bunch of people saying, you know, keep chopping, go dogs, you know, what, you know, whatever it is that he wants to, he wants to say. And I would like just, I would lean into that and say, what a great move by the governor, right? Like, and what, what, what crowd, you know, in Georgia, what constituency would say? my God, you know, what is Governor Kemp doing? Like, let's a, let's you know let's rally against him because he's encouraging people to get vaccinations. I mean, that to me is what I don't understand. You know, the, these are kind of, he's flaming the base and we're inflaming the base. And I, I just don't know what public health benefits we're getting from this. I don't understand what what political benefit he's really getting from this. And I don't understand how he thinks this is a winning strategy for 2022. But what I also would like to know is, Where's Doctor Toomey? Like I, I have questions, right? Like I want to know what is the public health rationale for this because all I'm getting is political rationales and political phrases and these kind of like you know th- these you know Fox News you know uh, you know whatever phrases without meaning. I want to know the public health rationale. And I think that Georgians deserve that. So that's what I'd like to know where, what, what her thoughts are. And why is it that, that we're not actually doing more proactive things? Cause I, and you know, honestly, that this is what Bob has been the most. If he wants to go off and, you know, pop off on the vaccine passports, I would probably just shrug my shoulders and say, that's bad policy. I don't agree. But eh. if, he was doing other proactive, positive things. And that's what I don't get. There's nothing proactive. There's nothing positive. There's no real pro-vaccination campaign. And we are in a, I think we're just in a bad spot because if we're going to have, you know, communities in Georgia, which are under-vaccinated, you know, those communities are going to be at severe risk. And the last thing I would want to see is some you know small town in rural Georgia have an outbreak and people die because we didn't do enough. So I I, I hope he does more. I hope he I th- I hope he looks at Mike Dewine and say, okay, I've done my crazy now. It's time to actually govern.
1: Well, and I think part of the issue is in terms of the statistics is that for the folks that aren't vaccinated, COVID nineteen rates are through the roof. So. We're, we're getting kind of this false picture of where we are as a state or as a country because we see the overall numbers and we and the people that are vaccinated are, man, I am living my best life right now. Right. And but we don't understand that with respect to the people that aren't in that population, we are at really, really dangerous levels and people are getting sick and they are dying. And that should give any governor pause from doing political stunts that that may prevent or, or keep them from getting vaccinated in the future? Because your, your number one priority as governor really should be protecting the people you represent.
0: Well, and not only that, it's you're the pro-life governor. So you want people to live. And I, I guess being on Fox News is the number one priority. I do want to play this clip from Fox News, and he, uh, the governor breaks down how he's no longer going to mandate mask mandates. or executive. Anyway, just listen.
3: And some doctors that are giving advice that quite honestly has been wrong because they're politically motivated. We've certainly seen our share of pandemic politics in Georgia when I reopened the economy. People accused me of you know, creating a a live death experience. Uh, They've disagreed with many of the things we've done when southern governors and others around the country removed restrictions just a few weeks ago and President Biden called us Neanderthals. But we've been following the data and we're following the science, but we also know where our people are. And, you know, if if the people don't buy into what the government's selling, they're going to revolt. And I, I think the problem with the Biden administration is, They think everybody around the country is like they're acting in New York and D.C. and other places, and that's just not the case. You know, states are different. You should trust the local leaders to make these decisions, and that's what we've been doing in conjunction with our public health officials. And, you know, Georgians know what to do now. They know how to protect themselves. They know how to – they know the vaccine's available. They know they can get it. They need to get educated and make the best decision for them and their families, and, and certainly for their children. You know, we don't need the government mandating what someone's child can do. Speaking of children, Governor, you just signed some legislation saying the kids won't be even wearing masks in Georgia. What makes you make that decision? yeah really just again following the the data and science uh, actually it'll be uh, another executive order we're continue to pull back all of our restrictions now we have very few but one of those things is we go into the summer and look for schools to be back in the classroom in the fall we're not going to have a mass mandate for our kids our teachers have had the ability to get vaccinated Certainly doesn't keep anyone from wearing a mask if, if parents want their kids to wear a mask or if the teachers want to wear a mask, if they haven't been vaccinated or even if they have, they can certainly do that. But I, I think the time for mandates is over. You know, our numbers have plummeted hospitalizations, percent positive cases. Uh, we got to continue to reopen the economy, including international travel. And it's unfortunate there, there are some that continue to scare people and not want to do that. Um, when we know how to defeat this virus.
0: So that's a lot to unpack, and I don't understand how. Well, number one, school's basically out, right? I mean, anybody in public school for the most part is out, or they're like getting out any minute. Then we're going to get to September, or in and in Georgia, school starts in August. There's going to be no more masks, really. I mean. So, like, what what is the point of all of this, Anthony? I, I think it goes back to what we were talking yeah. about, the politics
1: behind
2: it, right? Yeah, well, so here's the thing. I'm not sure about the no mask thing, right? Because right now, you know, children under 12 still can't get vaccinated yet. That's so, right. Right, so the timeline here, you know, if we're lucky, right, maybe by, by the end of this year, we'll be able to vaccinate children under 12. And what concerns me about that, right, is that the CDC still says, you need to follow the kind of, you know, masking, distancing procedures for schools to be safe. Um, now, maybe they'll amend that in, you know, next month or, or in July or maybe in August before school starts. And if they do, great, bless, I'm happy. Like, you know, throw the masks away, be done with them. But, you know, that's not what the guidance is now. The, the vaccine, you know, eligibility is not, hasn't even reached children under 12. So, you know the constitutional issues aside, because I don't think he can actually order public schools in Georgia to do this. I don't think he has that constitutional authority, but that, you know, just, you know, policy, health public policy aside, or public policy focused on that, you know, it just seems to me like, why, why wouldn't you want to be consistent with the CDC and do what the CDC says in order to keep children safe? And by the way, if we're only at 30, you know, percent full vaccination, you know, if we don't reach herd immunity in Georgia, those children are not safe. Right, like, and and now you can't, you know. And he's trying to, you know, if you if you don't have uh, mandatory vaccination requirements for teachers, I mean, I, I just think like we're 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 playing with fire here. And it seems to me the better thing to do would be to wait, to let local schools make decisions that are best for local schools, and to wait for the CDC and to follow CDC guidance, and 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 that you know that should be good enough, right? Because everyone was happy to follow CDC guidance when they said. If you're vaccinated, you know, tear the masks off and be done with them. I mean, we're all good there to follow the science. So what we should do is follow the science and wait for for, for additional guidance and not rush things now when we don't need to.
0: Well, the end of the interview was this best part of the interview. I just want to play
3: this. And it's unfortunate there there are some that continue to scare people and not want to do that um, when we know how to defeat this virus now. Yeah, at the end of the day, Governor, it comes down to choice. Uh, Adults get to make the choices. And if they want to take the vaccine, it is available to them. If they decide not to, the state should not punish them. So I thank you for your leadership on this issue, Governor. Thanks, Lawrence. It is America, the land of the home and and freedom reigns. For now, it is. Uh, We got to keep fighting. Thank you, Governor. So
0: at this point, I know he has a content calendar, but I think he needs to get a media coach. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and if that's the case, I'm available.
1: I'll do that job for him. So I think the thing that's been kind of disappointing about our governor's all of a sudden, mass appearances on Fox News. It really does. It, it looks looks like you took Leffler's position. Remember, she was showing up yeah. every week and, and now he's kind of popped in. Maybe they have the same publicist, Mara. Maybe. They, yeah, hey, I think it's a little pricey. A little pricey. Little pricey. <laughs> <laughs> but with respect to that, You know, we rarely heard a peep out of him during the COVID-19 crisis when it was at its peak. I mean, he would never like show up really for a press conference and talk about what was going on and and, you know, how bad the numbers were, what people needed to do. And so it just kind of strikes me as odd is that now we've got a governor that we we see everywhere. But he's really not talking about the things that he needs to be talking
0: about. Well, it feels like we're running a campaign. And, you know, and I, I really agree with what Anthony is saying as far as, um, you know, you're going to keep your echo chamber going. Like, I agree with Anthony in the fact, like, if he did something great, I'd be like, hey, that's great, you know that's good. If this is going to save someone's life or give somebody joy, like I'm not going to take that away just because I don't agree with their politics. So that's why it's just it just seems so troubling. Well, Anthony, you're going to be keeping very busy because there's, there's I feel like there's going to be a lot more executive orders coming out on the content calendar. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's and also the mask thing, let's let's keep it real. If you're outside Atlanta, if you're like you know, look, I was in Gatlinburg and I know that's not Georgia, but like uh they weren't wearing masks ever around there. So if you're in South Georgia or certain parts of the state, him going on about a mask mandate is not going to be, I don't think, the polarizing uh, hot button, you know, kitchen table issue that that he thinks it is. I mean, it may be good for Fox News content, but, you know, I don't know that anybody really cares
2: anymore. I don't know what to think anymore. I'm just. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I'm just gay, Georgian, and tired. Okay, so, oh, okay. I, so
0: you're gay. <laughs> so let me so and you're so gay on your Twitter. It's my favorite. I love these questions. Okay, so you're on a boat. Okay. Uh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I'm, okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Anthony, you're on the boat. And on the boat, you can only save one person. Is it Cher or Madonna?
2: Oh, it's Madonna. <gasps>
1: Well, she's she's are, younger. Right.
0: She's
2: younger than Cher. It's got to be Madonna.
1: Wow.
2: Cher, I... Cher's had a good life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Jen's cringing because she thought I was going to ask you something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> I love
0: the Would You Rather game so much. <laughs> But that was a safe one, Jen.
1: It it kind of was. It kind of was.
2: Really? I don't know. There's going to be there's going to be some sheriff fans that are going to come after yeah, there, me. Yeah, there's so. going
0: to be some major because Ooh. I would push Madonna off the boat cuz she Oh no. Yeah. There's this weird thing with Madonna fans, though. They literally, they're like Trump fans. It's very culty. Like, no matter, even if she does something so bad, they will not trash Madonna. Like, they just won't, even though she looks like kind of a praying mantis right now. <laughs> and that's for you, Brett, our hairstylist. That's what he's been calling her a praying mantis. Anyway, Anthony, Michael, Chris, Chris, Christ, Christ, Christ. <laughs> Anthony and Michael Christ, you're the best. Keep mm, on.
2: Y'all, y'all are the best. Always love hanging out with you.
0: Well, it's been great talking to you. you. We learned, and this has been, it's been real. I don't know that we solved anything. No, we definitely did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we want to thank Christina Larger for editing, and we want to thank Terminus Records for our music. Everybody reach out at Senator Jen, Anthony Michael Cries on Twitter and at Mara Davis. You can tweet us and send Anthony your favorite Madonna memes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you next time.